I'll be driving down the street and I notice that colors change at different times of the day. And when I'm manic, it feels like the colors vibrate in me. When I feel like this, I know an episode is coming and it's kind of thrilling at first. But also, if you know your history that manic episodes have downsides and you need to be careful, that's when I try to take action to prevent it from getting, getting a little too crazy. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling in today, we have Paul English. Paul is perhaps best known as the founder of the travel website, Kayak. Currently, he spends his time as one of the nation's leading philanthropists, and his latest project, the Bipolar Social Club, speaks to his life experience. Paul, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to speak with you. Back in the 80s, my television was inundated with all of these commercials for the hair club for men, where at the end, the spokesman would look dead into the camera and say, I'm not just the founder, I'm also a client. (laughs) Was your bipolar diagnosis what led you into mental health advocacy? It is. I was diagnosed at age 25 and really struggled quite a lot in my 20s and even in my 30s. Um, I've been open about being bipolar now for well over 10 years. And since I've been successful in tech and kind of known in the tech community, when people see articles, interviews with me that they find because of my tech background, but then when I talk about the bipolar, people have been reaching out to me for the last 10 years saying, oh, it's so nice to hear you talk openly about this. And um, many times people have asked me like, would you mind talking to my kid who's in college and struggling? And so I have about half a dozen young men that I've been mentoring over the last few years. And one of them very tragically ended up killing himself last year in Kenya. And it really uh, shocked me. And it was just very traumatic for me because I had a nice friendship with this young man. And it made me realize that I do spend all this time doing nonprofit work. I've started three other nonprofits and spend significant time and money with them, but I never did anything personal. And so when my friend Jake killed himself, it made me think I should do something relating to bipolar. I want to say I'm I'm so sorry for your friend. I, I know that suicidality, it resonates through our community, even though I didn't know Jake, just as someone who lives with bipolar disorder, whenever anybody loses that battle, it, it's a really big deal for people who, well, who have experienced the same thoughts. So I'm 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 super sorry for that, and I, I hope you're doing well, and I hope his family is doing well. It, you know, his memory inspires me to work hard on this project, but not just him, but also other people that I've met over the years who have struggled with bipolar illness in the past or currently. Um, all my bipolar friends inspire me to try to do something to help here. Now, Paul, I don't want to guess your age, but I'm, I know that you're older than 35. I'll tell you my age. I'm I'm proud of my age. I'm 59. 59 years old. So you said yeah. that you were diagnosed when you were 25. That's right. But it sounds like you were about 49 when you essentially went public with bipolar disorder. That sounds right. Yeah, there was a pretty big chunk in there where you you did not disclose. What was the reason for that? Well, I always disclose to a small number of friends and family. 
And I greatly encourage all of your listeners to do that because I have a brother who's a therapist, my brother Tim, and he says, there's no healing in secrecy. If you keep something a secret, you're very alone. And usually you can't journey out of it without people helping you out. So what I've told people, particularly younger people that are experiencing this for the first time, is find one family member, one friend, and one colleague, either at school or at work. And if you can tell one person in each of those three parts of your life, shame will lift. Those people will lean in to help you if you pick the right people. And it'll be the beginning of your journey for healing and managing this illness. You are one of the most successful people. In fact, I, I, I usually don't like to speak in absolutes, but I, I can honestly say you're probably the most successful person I have ever met, which means you're the most successful person managing bipolar disorder I've ever met. Was your success a protective factor for reducing discrimination, reducing shame, reducing stigma, or did you get hit with it just as hard as, as the rest of us did? Well, I when I first got hit with bipolar, I was working full-time as a programmer, and I didn't really have any success yet, so I couldn't lean on my success as a way to sort of work my way out of it. Um, it was traumatic for me for the first diagnosis, and the manic episodes and the depression that I had in my 20s were very, very difficult. But when I started speaking about it slowly, every year I'd tell more and more people, and probably... Actually, at the beginning of Kayak in 2004, I was 40 years old. And that's when I started telling more and more people. Like, I think pretty much everyone I work with knew about it. Um, certainly, as Kayak grew and got more and more successful, and even the company I sold before Kayak gave me some confidence. People said, okay, so maybe he's bipolar, but he's also been able to achieve things. And so I had that achievement track record that did help a little bit. But I also know that disclosing my illness has also hurt me. I had a um, reporter for Boston Magazine shadowed me for a month and wrote a story about me. And I had been very open with him about everything. And it was a very wide-ranging interview where he talked about entrepreneurship, um, family, nonprofit work, and mental health. And one of my venture capitalists, so I'm not going to name, had their marketing person call my marketing person and said, please don't let Paul do interviews like that again. Because I thought it made me look bad that I was that vulnerable and that open about my weaknesses. And it just made me think that maybe I don't want to work with that venture capitalist again. Because, you know, one of my favorite words is neurodiversity. And when you read about neurodiversity, hopefully you learn to appreciate people who think differently from each other that have been through different experiences and even to celebrate those people. And the fact that some people in business said, oh, Paul's kind of crazy. Um, he's too volatile, too unpredictable. We don't want to work with him. That's disappointing to me. But I've decided I think I can do more good by being open about it and trying to be a role model for people, particularly younger people who are just now starting to struggle with this to say there is a path forward. And I'd rather do that to help with my own healing and help with the healing of others, even if it means I'm going to lose some business deals. As I'm sitting here listening to your story, I think, wow, 
why would anybody look at you and decide, oh, I don't want to work with you because of the amount of success that you've had? I mean, you had a reporter shadowing you for a month. I I can't get a reporter to shadow me for an hour, (laughs) which shows the level of success that you've achieved. And yet, even with all of that, all they saw was that bipolar disorder was in the article and they thought that something bad could happen from that. How does that make you, I, I hate to ask this this way, but but how does that make you feel, Paul? Yeah, the reporter was, he's a great guy and I felt connected to him immediately and I just became very comfortable talking with him and he was interested in my bipolar illness and not from a, I don't know, I thought his questions are very appropriate. He was just naturally curious. He wasn't like digging or trying to make me sound bad. He was just curious about it. And so I was open with him. And when different things would come up over the course of the month um, relating to my mental illness, I would tell him about it. And I could say with hindsight after reading the article, and your listeners could probably find it if they just Google my name in Boston Magazine. But um, in hindsight... You know, would I have done the interview differently so he didn't make me sound so crazy? I don't know. I mean, I do have, there is this thing like the luxury of the rich or the luxury of the successful that once you've hit a certain level of success, I can point to it and say, okay, I know that I'm volatile, but I also know that I can create companies because I've created and sold six software companies now. And, um, you know, I do that because I'm on meds. I go to therapy. I'm open with my diagnosis with my friends. I have people at my work who know about my condition and they support me. Your recovery story does sound a lot like my own, where you paid attention to the medication, you paid attention to therapy, you built up a support team, you had regrets in your past, things that you needed to work forward, and that you hoped in the end, I believe your words were that people knew you that you were a kind person and that you were trying. That hits... I think that really hits everyone living with and managing bipolar disorder. Let, let's segue a little into talking about really specifics. What advice do you have for people who are managing bipolar disorder, who are struggling, who are not in recovery right now? The first thing I would say, I actually have um, a blog post up on my website about this. My website is just my name. It's paulenglish.com. If you click on the articles link, you'll see I talk about my own bipolar illness and I have advice to people. Um, the first thing is just you're not alone. The worst thing about mental illness is feeling like a freak show, like you're broken and you'll never heal again. And it can be very scary to be in a manic episode or in a depressive episode where you're on the floor of your bedroom for days and you can't leave. You know, I mean, your listeners who have bipolar illness, mental illness, will know what that's like. But if you have, again, one family member, one colleague, one friend who know about your condition, they can help you. And I've tried to be that friend, friends of mine who struggle with bipolar illness or other mental illness. I had a friend with some pretty serious depression and he didn't leave his bedroom for days. And his wife knew that I was close to him and I tried to get him out of the house just to go for a walk with me every day. And some days I had to go up into his bedroom and say, I'm not leaving to get out of bed so we can go for a walk together. And I got him back into therapy. I got him talking to doctors again about tweaking his meds. 
And slowly, you know, day after day of like going for a walk and talking, somehow he found a path out. And he's helped me in my dark days. I've helped him in his dark days. I think having that someone in your corner is really, really important. I think it's more important than therapy. It's more important than what books you read. It's having someone you can talk to. Sometimes that can be easier said than done. And I want to let our listeners know who are struggling to find that support groups, online support groups are all extraordinarily valuable and a great place to meet like-minded people who you can share with. I I recognize that it's it's not a place to necessarily meet friends. I, I don't want to create that idea in people's heads, but it's definitely a place to gain confidence and learn some skills and potentially make friends. Now, Paul, you've started the Bipolar Social Club, and in in its name and in my my head, I, I've got this idea of like the swinging 20s bar, right? There's like a secret knock to get in, and it it's a really cool name, and it, it really generates a pretty happy feeling in me. But what exactly is the Bipolar Social Club, and how's it going to work? Yeah, I love your interpretation of the name because that's kind of my – that was my intent – I wasn't thinking necessarily speakeasy, but I was thinking that – so I have this thing where like gay friends of mine tell me that some of them, they have gaydar and they can tell when they meet a gay person. Um, I feel like I have bipolar radar. If I'm in a room and I meet someone who's bipolar, I look at them like that person has it. Like they have the spark. There's something about them that's different than most people. And so I love when I meet bipolar people and although we each – We'll have some trauma in our past. We can also celebrate that the fact that we're different from other people and celebrate some of the positive aspects. So, I mean, mania, full mania is very scary. But sometimes, if you're just like hypomanic or along the path, you sometimes can be volatile and make some bad decisions. But there's also part of it that is kind of fun where you're really creative and prolific. And so, the idea of the Bipolar Social Club. It is where people can get together, either online or in person, and tell stories and help each other navigate. And I'm actually trying to find one or more celebrities who've been open about being bipolar to partner with me and really co-found this thing. Because it'd be amazing if we could get Selena Gomez or someone else who's been open to help promote the brand. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. We're back with the founder of Kayak, Paul English, discussing his life with bipolar disorder. 
More and more, we are seeing prominent people live openly with bipolar disorder and talk about it publicly. But a lot of those people are in the arts. They're in Hollywood. We don't see a lot of business people talking about living with any mental illness, especially one as serious as bipolar disorder. In the business world, on Wall Street, we know that just by statistics, there's a certain number of people clearly who are managing serious and persistent mental illness, who have mental health issues, who live with bipolar disorder. But if you look at the the Forbes 100, nobody on that list is copping to living with bipolar disorder, uh, save for maybe you. Paul, I have to ask, what what made you decide that it was okay to be this open? <laughs> yeah, I hope that changes. Um it is unusual for someone like you to come out and that, that had to be a very, very difficult decision or, or maybe it wasn't. Was there a moment that you're just like, you know what, to hell with it. I'm just telling everybody. Yeah. The time when I really went public, I started telling more and more people at the beginning of the kayak. Like I told everyone at the company, um, I sent an email to the company one day, there's a mental health awareness day or something. And I said, one of the things I love about this company is we're so supportive of each other that I feel comfortable telling you guys that I have suffered from bipolar illness and depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And I want this to be a safe place that if you want someone to talk to, I'm here for you because this affects a lot of families. And I got the nicest emails back from the team and again, I feel like I have this saying that people follow confidence, but they're loyal to vulnerability. And if you're vulnerable, people will lean in. They're going to want to help you. So that's when I started talking about it. And then in 2016, there's a very famous author named Tracy Kidder. He's Pulitzer Prize winning author. And he approached me to ask if he could do a book about me. Initially, I said no, because even though I'm somewhat of a public figure in tech or in the nonprofit world, I'm a little bit introverted and I have a shy side and I just thought like having a book about me just sounds terrible. But I spent a couple months with Tracy trying to convince him to write about a couple of my friends and eventually he kind of wore me down. And once he wore me down, I said, fine, I'll do the book. It was a three-year project and he lived with me half time for a year. He slept in a spare bedroom in my house, went to all my meetings. He's a very charming and disarming man and brilliant. And then I decided, what the heck? I'm just going to go open. At that point, Kayak had gone public. We sold the company for $2 billion. And I said, I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to tell him everything. And so we spent three years and I told him everything. And I had no idea what he was writing about because we covered so much material in three years. When I finally read the book, I've only read it once really quickly. He gave it to me in the end and said, you have 24 hours to make any serious corrections to it if I made mistakes. It was a little bit uncomfortable reading about myself, but I liked reading about the stories about my father and my mentor. Um, but that's when I first went like really open. And then when that book published, not really because of me, but because of the author, Tracy Kidder, he himself is so famous and sells so many books that... He went on a speaking tour and I joined him for whatever dates I could. And then that kind of opened the floodgates. And there was a lot of interest from media about just the curiosity of a tech exec who's going to be this vulnerable on tape. 
It's a very curious thing, and it's very unusual. I I think that maybe in the last 10 years you've gotten used to it, but I can tell you as a man who lives with bipolar disorder, there's not a lot of Paul Englishes out there. There, There's celebrities and there are notable people, but a a tech mogul, right? Uh, Just somebody in the business world, That's it's unusual to be that open and that vulnerable, but it's important and it's extraordinarily helpful because, hey... You know, I just need to learn to program, invent a website, sell it for $2 billion, right? I'm right there. I'm so close. I'm three steps away. Um, But in all seriousness, it is super important because the message that many people with bipolar disorder get is, hey, look, just just try to be stable. Get something to keep you busy. Maybe you can work part time. The, the, The message that a lot of us get is, it's not that we can be anything that we want. It's it's limit your expectations and yeah, try not to bother anybody. So I, I like your message because it's a powerful message. I do recognize, I don't want anybody to think that I'm suffering from grandiosity or mania. I do recognize that I am not three steps away from being a billionaire. <laughs> Paul, symptoms of bipolar disorder get talked about all the time. We love talking about mania. We love talking about depression. Obviously, suicidality is something that, that really needs to be discussed more. But one of the topics in bipolar disorder that's that's sort of not discussed, it's almost ignored, is anger. Bipolar anger is something that just doesn't get a lot of press, a lot of discussion, it it really just doesn't get a lot of anything, but I, I understand that you know something about bipolar anger. Yeah. Um, I am someone who had a lot of anger as a teenager. I would flare up and get angry very easily. And one time I discovered this Vietnamese Buddhist named Thich Nhat Hanh, and he wrote a book about anger, which I read. And I was lucky to see him speak once when he came to Boston. And he really transformed me, how I think about it. There's a Buddhist saying, which is being angry at someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. And the story here is that anger hurts yourself. Now, let's say you're driving your car down the road and someone cuts you off. If you had a hammer in the seat next to you, when someone cut you off, you wouldn't hit yourself in the head with a hammer because what's the point of that? Well, being angry at that person, like swearing at them, screaming at them, they're still in front of you in traffic. You've done nothing but hurt yourself. So why do that? And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but there's a degree to which anger is a choice. And you can basically accept people for what they do and for their transgressions. When someone harms me, I will think, you know, if I had their chemistry and their background and the day they had, I would do the same thing they did. And so if you realize that you can have compassion for people, even compassion for people who harm you, you can accept it. I mean, hopefully you don't let them continue to harm you. If you're in an abusive relationship, you should leave that relationship, for example. But walking around being angry at the world, you need to learn how to get rid of it. I also, I'm a big fan of the serenity prayer which goes, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This also relates to a Buddhist technique, a Buddhist philosophy of radical acceptance. The Buddhists believe that suffering happens when you don't accept reality, when something happens and you're, you feel harmed by it, you reject it, you don't want it to be true. That's when you suffer. 
But if something happens and you just accept it, there's no suffering anymore. So the serenity prayer has been really important to me in terms of realizing some things you can change and you should change them. Things you can't change, you should accept them because not accepting them is suffering. One of the things I think about when I think of anger is anger is an emotion and, and everybody has it, bipolar disorder or not. And, and then I have this concept that, that I call, and, and again, this is, this is not scientific, but I just call it bipolar anger. And here's basically how I define bipolar anger. It's when the anger that you had a choice about sticks around for so long, it becomes a rumination. And ruminations with bipolar disorder are well understood. It's when you get, you get stuck on something. You just, you can't let it go. And if you don't let go of that anger before it becomes a rumination, then you can't let go of that anger. And it really does destroy us from the inside. I agree with everything that you said. I know a lot of people who are angry at a lot of things. And I think you just can't control that. You really need to let it go. My, my father is still angry about people who cut him off in traffic 35 years ago. I understand he's a truck driver, but dude, let it go. Let it go. They're, they don't even make that car that cut you off anymore. But if my father lived with bipolar disorder and he didn't let go of that anger and it reached that rumination stage, then the person with bipolar disorder, they, they, they start making decisions based on it. They start believing that it's true. They, they take those feelings and interpret them as facts. And all of these are, are dangers. They're, they're dangers that put us in harm way. So if you can control that anger before it becomes a rumination, before it becomes a symptom, I think there's just so much wisdom in it because it doesn't end up any place good, at least from my personal experience. I completely agree with that. I mean, one of my favorite phrases is let it go. My girlfriend is so sick of me saying that to her, but she'll get upset about something that happens at work or in other parts of her life. And I'm like, if you can't control it, you need to just accept it because resistance is where the suffering comes from. I love it when you agree with me, Paul. <laughs> Paul, where can folks find you online? Where can folks find the Bipolar Social Club? Give us all the details. So you can, I have a very simple website um, that's just my name. It's paulenglish.com. There's an articles link there. There's different interviews and articles there. Um, my Twitter handle is English Paul M, like English Paul M, M for Michael. And the Bipolar Social Club is simply bipolarsocialclub.org. So people can find me via any of those three methods. And I encourage everyone to check that out. Thank you so much, Paul, for being here. Yeah, it's been really great speaking with you. Thank you. You are very welcome, Paul. And a big thank you to all of our listeners as well. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. I'm also the author of the book Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, which is on Amazon, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag just by heading over to my website, GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And can you do me a favor? Recommend the podcast to your friends, your family member, your colleagues. Share it on social media. Hell, send somebody a text message. Sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. 
Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.